In Chapter 3, we're going to examine tax planning strategies and the related limitations on their effectiveness. In Learning Objective 1, we're going to identify the objectives of basic tax planning strategies. Effective tax planning maximizes the taxpayer's after-tax wealth while achieving the taxpayer's non-tax goals. The non-tax goals also must be considered as part of sound tax planning. Maximizing after-tax wealth is not necessarily the same as tax minimization. Maximizing after-tax wealth requires one to consider both the tax and non-tax costs and benefits of alternative transactions, whereas tax minimization focuses exclusively on a single cost, taxes. Virtually every transaction involves three parties, the taxpayer, the other party transacting with the taxpayer, and last and never least, the federal government, our uninvited silent party specifying the tax consequences of our transactions. Astute tax planning requires an understanding of the tax and the non-tax costs from the taxpayers and the other parties' perspectives. Let's tie this learning objective together and examine three common planning situations and evaluate the considerations that determine effective tax planning. We have three different taxpayers with three different needs. In the first case, we have a taxpayer in the 15% bracket who's purchased tax-exempt bonds paying 3%. In the second case, we have a taxpayer in the 31% bracket who's purchasing a taxable corporate bond paying 6%. And in the third case, we have an employee who's in an environment where his individual rates are declining as well as that of his corporate employer. And our employee is wishing to defer income to a future year under a non-qualified deferred compensation program. And the question before us is, what are the relevant tax and non-tax considerations that determine an effective tax planning strategy? Well, in cases one and two, we're essentially asking the same question. That is, what's the after-tax cash flow from the tax-exempt investment compared to that of a fully taxable alternative? And both questions, case in cases one and two, also deal with the credit worthiness of the issuer. In the first case, the credit worthiness of the municipal issuer as opposed to the corporate issuer. So the fact that one is receiving the highest after-tax cash flow may not be good tax planning if the issuer itself is under risk of not fulfilling that obligation. In the case of our employee seeking deferred comp, our instincts would say that of course we want to defer as an employee to a future tax year when the rates are lower. But remember, in any transaction, there is another uh, individual party at the table with you. Here we have the employer who's got the declining tax rates as well. So the employer has the opposite incentive. The employer wants to pay the employee more now to get the value of the tax deductions when the marginal rates are higher as opposed to when they'll be declining. So there will be a number that could be motivating to both the employee and the employer for the employee to be paid sooner rather than later. Now, 
if an employee is insistent on tax deferral, there's still the non-tax issue of the creditworthiness of the employer's promise to fulfill that deferred compensation arrangement in the future. So you cannot let your desire to defer taxes blind you to the risks that an employer, a corporate issuer of debt, or a municipal issuer of debt may not be able to make those promises to you. This concludes Learning Objective 3.1.